0: Hello hummingbirds, as I call all of you caring for animals and making a difference every day. Welcome to the Animal Care and Welfare Podcast i Buzz, where we combine the science and practice of animal welfare in a fun and engaging way, where we answer questions, find solutions, discuss tools, and achieve results, all for happy animals and people. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and this podcast is brought to you by Animal Concepts and the Practical Animal Welfare Science Membership Experience. Let's buzz! Welcome to another iBoss episode and today I'm delighted to have with me Saskia Verbrugge from the Netherlands. She's a, the head trainer at Hoenderdaal and a professional animal trainer and an owner of the animal training around Europe company. Welcome Saskia. Hi
1: Sabrina, nice to have me uh, on your podcast. Uh, it's really cool to be here.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm delighted, uh, you know, We have met a long time ago, have known each other for a very long time. So it's really nice uh, to, you know, have you on the podcast and also to discuss all kinds of animals because of course today you are working as the head trainer uh, with, with birds, but you have a long history of working with all kinds of animals. So really looking forward um, to to talking about that. So perhaps of course, first things first, tell us a little bit, who you are and your background.
1: Yes, I will. Um, I started quite a long time ago already um, as a a animal trainer with uh, pinny pets at the Harderike uh, Dolphinarium. And there I trained the walruses, the sea lions, the seals. And that's actually where I really started to know about training and about positive reinforcement training and uh, where I started to love this work. I mean, um, I went to university and that was interesting, but not that cool. <laughs> and this was really something I loved from the, from the start. And after that, I, I had some, yeah, quite a lot of different jobs. I uh, worked at Ecomara, which is a seal sanctuary here in Holland. And there I trained harbor purposes. And I trained the seals again, but I also did a little bit of, uh, yeah, rescuing, uh, our seals that stranded up on the beach and uh in ekmara i met met silke which is uh, she's now my partner but um, and she was a bird trainer Uh, she used to train uh, birds of prey and we yeah we started talking and that's where we got the idea that birds of prey could also be trained by positive reinforcement which is yeah not something that is done very often so that's where the idea started and after some um yeah, roundabouts. We went to of Ventura uh, to work there, and uh, we did a tour around Europe just uh, for fun. Uh, we ended up at uh, Hundadal where we could actually start a training uh, birds of prey with positive reinforcement. And yeah, it's been a been a really cool journey so far. So that's really fun.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you touched upon so many different places, uh, yes. and I can now see why your animal training. A consultancy company is called Round Europe. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you have a lovely logo for that as well. But we'll make yeah. sure to link to that uh, with. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Yes. Yeah. We. And, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, we, we we did the trip around Europe uh, with our uh, camper van, which is a small double uh, VW uh, bus, an old one. It's already forty years old, so. <laughs> and that's where the idea started to yeah, if we could just help zoos all around Europe because we can reach that by with our bus um, to help them set up a training and help them um, yeah to to improve the lives of their their animals by training and by improving their welfare so that's where the idea started of uh, around Europe animal training excellent and yes that's still I, something I really like to do
0: yes and I love the idea that you know you took um, you know, this also this idea that we can reach with our bus, right? So, you, yeah, it's about having that journey uh, and the travel, but and then, of course, doing well for animals and working with the people who train them and yeah. focusing on these positive reinforcement. And at the same time, also, you know, the ecological footprint related to travel instead of flying. You know, yeah. um, of course, there's things connected to driving, but uh, it's, it's just a, a wonderful... A bundle of things together. So, but before we move on, because you have touched on lots of different things, can you? Because a lot of people are interested in marine mammals, mm-hmm. and of course, pinnipeds. There's a lot of talk, of course, of of dolphins and killer whales and belugas, and of course, we have you know more and more uh, you know posts and things towards pinnipeds. But pinnipeds are still you know, not we don't hear so much about them as much as I think we would want to because they're absolutely lovely. So can you talk a little bit more about the, the animals, maybe behaviors that you trained, things that you did when you were working at the Uh Yes, yes, I can. Um, yeah,
1: but we, um, I trained there with, the, mostly at the end with the walruses, um, which are really awesome animals. They are so huge, but also so sweet, which is, yeah. I really love them. They're still very deep in my heart. Um, and one of the things that was really cool that we trained was this, uh, we called it rescue swimming, where we kind of showed how uh, a mother would hold her young youngster uh, while swimming because they go on their backs and they hold the youngs between their flippers. And we, we trained that with two adult uh, uh, wild horses. But it was really cool to train something like that because we had to... Um, yeah, work with two different animals and then combine them together. And that was one of the great things uh, we did there, which I really loved.
0: Wonderful. Yes, that is such a great idea, right? To, to work with animals, to teach them, to show us how they care, for example, for their young. Or, yeah. you know, other things that it reminds me of this behavior when I was working with the Old Borg Zoo in Denmark um, where, you know, the polar bears were like standing up and reaching and looking out, you know, and, and it allowed the care staff to talk about that behavior, um, and how, you know, they scan the eyes and, you know, their environments. And it is so yeah. wonderful to use those in our messaging, in our shows. So that's, that's very nice. Do you have another like uh, sea lion or seal story for us before we move mm-hmm. to hearing all about birds? Ooh, it's been a while. Um, <laughs> one of the
1: <laughs> my memory is not that good anymore. Uh, one of the things that I do remember training was um, well, not really a training. We, we made this new uh, demonstration with our sea lions, Californian sea lions. and I was a big part of it. I helped create it and I was uh, trained the different behaviors for it and just common behaviors like waving and stationing and stuff like that. And then the first day we opened, and I was really excited. I had to do that demonstration and it was my demonstration. That's how I felt it. And there, there was just one animal from the seven that participated. And that was the young one who just knew waving and um, stationing and all the others just kept swimming. And I was a bit sad about that, but that day it was horrible. But afterwards I was like, OK, that's what animals do. They have the choice to participate or not. and Um, yeah, I was probably too nervous and they felt it and they were like, "Mm, no way, I'm not coming there. (laughs) And it's actually, it's a good story because you know, the animals have the choice, you know, the animals know about your feeling, they they know what you're feeling and they react to that. And yeah, now I can laugh about it. That moment (laughs) I was really
0: crying, but now (laughs) I,
1: I know what I've learned about it. So yeah, that's also a cool story, I think
0: yes absolutely and it's like that right it's what when we were working together collaborating with animals there's lots of different words right that we use uh yeah. and giving animals options and then yeah we have to you know we're asking them things and then they might say no not right now or not no. today or and and we have to go oh yeah okay that could also be an answer and we and we need to be okay with that answer so yeah and at the moment it might be a bit like uh-oh Uh, or uncomfortable and 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 we learn from it right and we value that those lessons so i'm really delighted that you shared that with us um and you already mentioned also that you you know you really learned to train with positive reinforcement with marine mammals and uh, that that's not necessarily uh, a method used with many um with with birds of prey and uh, perhaps you know we can you can talk a little bit about, you know, what does that mean for people who are new to the animal training world? What does it mean to work with positive reinforcement? You can use marine mammal examples or birds.
1: Yeah. What, what it mainly means for me is that you um, show the animals that if they uh, yeah, cooperate, if they're working with us, they get a reward. And that reward can be anything. It can be food. Uh, for birds of prey, it's mainly food, but for marine mammals, it can be played, can be touched, whatever, whatever they like. And then you you teach them that if they, they come to you and they work with you, they get something back that they want. And if they don't, if they choose not to, nothing bad happens. It's always positive. So if they don't come, okay, we'll, we'll come back later. It's your choice. You don't want to play or you don't want to cooperate today or at this moment. So we come back later and i think with marine mammals um as i have always been been taught is that it couldn't be done any other way because they would swim away if you uh if you try to punish them they they will swim away so you can't punish them so you have to use other methods which is rewarding them but the fun thing with birds of prey is that uh, in the old situation or for at least in (laughs) in hoon it's the old situation Birds of prey are held by their gestures and gestures are just leather straps around their paws and you hold those leather straps and the bird can't go away anymore. Um, But now we we have to, we have uh, housed them in big aviaries and they can go away. So it's the same principle as with marine mammals. If you do something they don't like, they will go away. They won't stay with you. And that's when we started to um, think, hmm, it's now the same as with dolphins and sea lions. So we should work the same with our birds of prey with positive reinforcement. We Re- reward them for something we like them to do and ignore stuff that we don't want them to do. And, um, yeah, that works pretty good, actually.
0: I can't wait to hear more about this. Uh, yeah. and so before we, you know, start talking about, uh, the birds and, and all the work that you're doing in the different activities, um, can you tell a little bit about the place uh, that you're working at now, about Hunderdaal? We make sure, of course, to put a link and also yeah. uh, some aerial photos because it's pretty amazing facility. So tell us all about it.
1: Yeah, Landgoed Hunderdaal is, is a small zoo. It's privately owned uh, by, by Robert Kruif, which is uh, a really wealthy man that uh, started as a hobby. He had some uh, pheasants that he breeded and then he had some ostriches. And from there on he grew and now it's a really lovely zoo uh, with all kinds of species. Um, It also houses um, Stichting Leeuw, which is a sanctuary for lions and tigers and other cats that um, can't go anywhere else. So they come from um, circuses that don't, um, that can't hold their, their, their big cats anymore. They come from, uh, confiscated animals that were pets and stuff like that so it has a a, a big part of a, um, rescuing uh, how do you say that yeah it's a it's, it's a sanctuary for for big cats and he has very large enclosures for all his animals he's our boss is really uh, wants to do best for the animals so we have large bear enclosures. We have large wolves enclosures. Uh, we now just have a new enclosure for our macaws. Also, all um, rescued macaws that came from uh, private owners that are like, mm, a macaw is not that good a pet, so let's get it somewhere else. And he built a really big aviary for them, so they can fly around and they can be in groups. And yeah, so welfare is one of his main points that he wants to uh, promote and um yeah it's not a very well-known zoo yet it's starting to grow uh but yeah it's, it's not very well known outside of uh this small part of holland where we are
0: <laughs> well hopefully the podcast will uh Hopefully you know, it will, be one yes. of the I... small things to draw <laughs> attention to it. So uh... Yeah,
1: I've been promoting uh, Landgoed Rundel everywhere I come at the moment. So, I bet. Uh, <laughs> 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 but before I started working there, I've never heard of it before, and I live in Holland, so it's, it's not that, that well-known yet. But it's growing, and it's getting better and better. So, yeah, definitely Great. something worth to uh, go have a visit whenever, uh, in Holland.
0: Yes. Well, I certainly also didn't know of it before you started working there. I hadn't heard of it either. So, and I'm also from the Netherlands and yeah. uh, yeah, So like that, you know, we keep learning every day and you, you say something in the, in what you just talked about, about, you know, you are, you know, the park is committed to animal welfare and also, you know, taking animals from uh, in from people that might, you know, that feel that they might not be able to do the best job for, like, for example, the macaws. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also mentioned, you know, you you have very large um, exhibits or habitats for the animals, which is, of course, important. Um, But can you also say something about the quality, like the complexity of the habitat? Because one thing is to have a lot of space. Uh, But then, you know, the other thing, uh, we can also have very good welfare in smaller areas. So can you say something about, you know, what is in those habitats of those animals and and how do you see it benefiting them?
1: Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, What what we try to do is uh, make it as natural as possible. So all those habitats I was talking about have uh, pools in there so the bears can actually swim. Um, They build some... uh, how do you say concrete, uh, caves so the bears can yep. go in there. Um, and for, for instance, the wolves, they've got lots of places where they can dig. They, they build their own, uh, caves, uh, where they actually, uh, uh, produce pups. It's not really good English, but, um, yeah, where they have their pups. Yeah. Yeah. Where they have yeah. their pups. And yeah. it's, it's, Quite naturally. Hoenedal uh, is a very uh, foresty area, so we have lots of trees which provide shades but also uh, hiding places. You can walk around our wolves' enclosure and not see any wolves because they can just hide and go out of the public site if they want to, but they can also come close. So they've got a lot of opportunity to go into different spaces in different areas, which is, I think, very good for their welfare.
0: Wonderful. Um, Yes, thank you for sharing that because it's such an important conversation uh, to have, Yeah, because I agree, Uh,
1: size is not everything. I mean, size is part of a better welfare. If you have very large animals, then size is absolutely important, but it's not everything.
0: Yeah, so so those things are, it's always nice to hear also what you know other people are doing uh, and in what ways because you know we could dive down into the the naturalistic right what does that mean and and yeah. uh, is that always a good thing but today you know we're going to not do that because we have uh, a lot of other really nice um questions here i think with regards to the work and hundada also specifically on the birds yes um, yes so maybe maybe you could start with you know what do you do with the birds you know what birds do you species do you have and of course we want to hear fun bird stories throughout but uh, tell us tell us what you're doing with all the birds there
1: yes yeah so when i uh, and i started there in 2017 um they had 25 species of 25 birds which were mainly birds of prey like uh, um eagles like uh, hawks um, no, animal a uh, couple of owls and they were all housed in the traditional way so in the perched uh, 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 tight to purchase small housing um, and then now boss wanted something else he wanted big aviaries where the birds were just free to do and uh, to go around and were not, uh not tight anymore and at the moment we have 55 birds that we train for our demonstration and they range from still the bald eagle because everyone wants to see a bald eagle <laughs> two little egrets egrets which is this small egret kind and we have macaws we have owls we have hornbills which are really cool animals um we've got what do we've got more we've got uh, a kookaburra just this year, first time uh, in the show. So we've okay. got all kinds of different birds. Um, but still, the the hawks and the owls are there. Just owls that um, are normally hunting in daytime or in um, dusk or dawn. So not at night. We don't have the really night, night hunting owls. Um, and, Great. Yeah. Yeah, that do, sounds we,
0: amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is amazing. It's it's such a wonderful project. And one of the main things which is different from almost everything I've saw, seen so far is that our aviaries where the birds are living, uh, even the demonstration birds, people, guests can walk around and can see the demonstration birds anytime. And as soon as we have a demonstration, the birds can go out a hatch or a door and go into the demonstration area where we tell something about them and then we cue them to go back into the aviary. And, yeah, so they don't have to be moved between housing aviaries and demonstration area. They just can come out of the aviary if they want to and go back in if they don't, uh, if we ask them to. Yes.
0: And before you move on to, you know, the the, the activities, can you describe a little bit, you know, just what that because it's an amazing complex when you see it from the top but for those of us right now just listening uh what does that look like you know because you're talking about flying from an aviary into an arena can you describe the building a little bit
1: yeah it's a it's a yeah how do you call it a nautilus shaped uh nautilus yeah 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 Yeah, nautilus, like the little shell thing and in the center of that is our demonstration arena And around that demonstration arena are different kind of aviaries. And inside of the the ring, it starts out smallish, which is still uh, three by six meters and seven meters high. And it keeps on getting bigger and bigger if you walk around. And our largest aviary is, uh, if I tell it okay, it's 20 meters by, no, 40 meters by 50 meters square and then seven meters high so it's a really big aviary and um all the aviaries are um yeah high there are perches there are trees it's try to make as much different things to to sit on and sit behind and stuff like that and yeah and from Going from the aviary to the uh, demonstration area, we can do it by door, which we also use for the cleaning. But on top, we have a, a hatch where the birds can go fly out. We can control that hatch by a remote control to open it and to close it. And if we open it, the bird can go fly out. And then we show them and then um, some of the birds will fly back through the door. Others will fly back through the hatch. Depends on species and on what we think looks cool. <laughs>
0: yes yeah oh yeah but the key part here of course also is that the so the animals um have different types of habitats and different types of roles so you know they are if you like exhibit animals because people can pass and see them and you know all the birds that are in the show can be seen at all times Uh, and they are uh, also uh presentation show animals so people can see them in shows right so that's really cool and what yeah. you've done is to see how, do we, how can we promote optimal bird welfare throughout the whole day while they are in shows. Because we do know that many birds in shows don't necessarily have a very uh, good environment while they're not in shows. So they might be flying in the show, but while they're waiting, uh, if you like, for the next show, they can be in very small areas or small boxes uh, and that's why i really, really like um how hundred dollars set up where where the birds have their habitat and then you also say something key we open the door and the bird can fly so if they don't want to right uh, yep. they don't they can just they stay in their yeah. habitat and you have of course lots of other birds that you yeah. can work with uh yep. but can you talk a little bit more about that control that you're actually giving the choice that you're giving to the birds and you know uh i i we are doing research together with your park on bird welfare uh, together yeah. with um, dr eduardo fernandez and that's absolutely fantastic uh and one of our you know questions is like what are the birds choosing and when and how and all those things right yeah. you talk a little bit more about that choice option there and how often perhaps does it happen they don't want to come out or what do you do yeah, yeah. No, I can tell
1: you, actually, the other day um we were trying to fly our Canadian eagle owl, and we opened the hatch so we can go fly out of the hatch on top and nothing happened. <laughs> just <laughs> nothing. <laughs> we were like, okay, and our boss was actually watching that show. So we were like, oh my God, please come, come out. And we called him and we called him and suddenly he just popped his head up and he was looking and then he jumped on the hatch and he was still looking. And finally, he came out and we were like, okay, you were not really content on flying. So we just had him come to us and we walked him straight back to the door, back into his aviary. And there we rewarded him <laughs> because he went back into his aviary. Um, and the reason he didn't want to come, his neighbor just had flown in the demonstration and was eating a really large amount of food. And he was like, I want that. <laughs> I don't want to fly. I want that. So yeah, that's, that's stuff that happens. Um, and sometimes we, uh, if they don't come out, we go into the aviary, we look what's happening because hmm, is he scared? Is he just sleeping? What is happening? And if he really doesn't want to come out, we close the door, we close the hatch. And like you said, we pick another bird, um, to fly which is one of the great things if we have so many. We can just pick another bird that uh, might fly. And for us, coming out of the aviary, if they choose not to come out of the aviary, that's not big of a problem. The biggest problem is when they come out of the aviary and choose not to go back. (laughs) Because that means we cannot fly another bird. (laughs) So um, for us, going back into the aviary, aviary will always be rewarded by a big amount of, of food, mostly. And some, for some birds, it's also going to be enrichment, play stuff, but most of the birds just are motivated by food. Um, but that will always be rewarded because, because that's what, yeah, our main concern is if they stay out in the, uh, in the demonstration area, we
0: cannot do anything else anymore. So Right. Yeah. So it's, it seems very, very rewarding to go out and, and obviously fly. Yeah, Yeah, because the truth is, of course, that also many birds in human care don't necessarily actually fly. Um, So to be able to fly, you know, this intrinsic value of flight has been, you know, discussed in many different contexts not just you know because you need to hunt or you need to move from a to b uh but you know some uh birds uh have you know fly because they enjoy flying right yeah. Uh, yeah. so it's it's wonderful that you that that you have that option and and also do you actually have birds that are happy together uh even though they're different species that might actually you know do things together in the show at the same time yeah we have we have birds that uh
1: can be together. Um, we most of the time show our egrets with our storks. Um, we can show all our different um vultures together. Um, uh, we do the hornbills together with the vultures. Uh, so there are some species that will be able to to just mix. Um, but especially with the with the birds of prey, the, the real raptors raptors, they that won't work because if we would show the egrets with the Harris hawks, it might be <laughs> exciting, but not for the egrets. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, we have to switch the thing. Um, of course. And yes. for us, one of the problems is that if we have too many birds from different aviaries together, we also have to put them back in the, to their own aviary. Um, we need more people, which, is sometimes a problem we want to show more animals together but it's not always convenient because we don't have the the people to do that to make actually that work so yeah
0: yes yeah that's one of the things also absolutely yeah and um so you you talked about um you know the the walrus you know the behavior Mm -hmm. that you taught and how you use that in the presentation you know, what, what do you do at Hundedal for the presentation? How do you present the animals? What are some of the behaviors that people might see, messages that people might hear?
1: Yeah, our, our main um, message we want to uh, tell people is, um, we want to tell them about their hunting skills. How do they get their food? So, for instance, um, the bald eagle, which catches fish from the water, Uh, We throw a piece of chicken into the water and he just shows how we catch this uh, chicken and how we would catch a real fish in in, in nature. And for our hornbills, they they eat snakes. So one of our volunteers actually made a really nice snake out of a tie. And we we show them how they grab that snake, they shake the snake, and then we tell them this is how they... Eat in the wild and they learn from each other because hornbills are social animals. So we try to really incorporate um, the natural behaviors of the different bird species. And for our vultures, we also try to tell about uh, how bad the situation is for vultures in nature. That they get killed for all kinds of different reasons and how important they are. And uh, but we also show how they eat because we have a really life-size plastic zebra in the middle of our arena which is looks like it's been killed by a lion and then our vultures come and they get some food out of that zebra so we show them how that works yes sometimes a bit difficult because kids come in and they oh, there's a zebra there. And yeah, it's fake guys. It's fake. <laughs> and yeah. last week there was this very small kid and zebra sleeping, huh? Yes. It's sleeping. <laughs> it's gotta be Not eaten and them. it's
0: sleeping. <laughs> yeah. 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 So and, yeah. But and that's, that's uh, the main goal. Yeah. And it's, it's important all these different educational messages also that, um, you know, uh, vultures. You know, they scavenge, and uh, and yeah. other animals get killed by other animals, right? And that's also yeah. part of our educational, um, you know, messaging. Is that you know, they're the, the the lions are not eating the lettuce. They're you know, they're getting you know, fiber through eating uh, animals who eat you know, so, yeah. uh, fi- uh, grasses and so on. So it's it's so it's such a big part of that whole circle of life and yeah and i think it's great that you're showing these different aspects and also talking about the social lives of animals and uh and i, I was just wondering do you also talk about um how you know m- many of these animals don't make good pets or that you rescue like m- are you flying the macaws that you've rescued yeah. and talk yeah, about for pet you know, trade the wildlife trade for pets and so on for the uh, macaws we do we tell um
1: They actually are very good advocates themselves. We tell them they are not good pets because they make lots of noise and they tear everything apart and stuff like that. Um, We do not tell as much about um, the more global problems like the deforesting and stuff like that. That is something we we want to do, but hasn't been incorporated yet. Um, But something we work on, uh, we made this demonstration by ourselves. I mean, there's, there's no one that said you have to talk about that or you have to talk about that. Our boss was just like, show the birds. So
0: yeah, <laughs> we make
1: it as educational as possible because that's something we really like as, as uh, the trainers of the, the birds uh, and think is really important. So, But we do tell them they are not pets. And uh, if you fly them, people know. Last week we uh, had them all seven of our macaws out in the demonstration and two kids were crying because they were so loud and one kid was very scared (laughs) so (laughs) yeah they know they will never get a macaw
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but no but of course you keep growing right you always keep adding things and uh, yeah. and and training new things so yeah it sounds wonderful and you already yeah. mentioned a little bit um of course that you work uh in a team you work together with your with your partner silka and yep. Leah is also working there who's a long uh, time friend as well uh can you talk yeah. a little bit about the team you know how do you work together in what ways <clears throat> you know strength and um how do you how do you work together yeah yeah again we um
1: uh, yeah what you said we have like Two full time members, which are Silk and Leah. And Silk is really always been into the birds and knows everything about birds. And Leah is just like me a really good uh, trainer, marine mammal experience, bird experience, um, mainly macaws and stuff. So, really good in positive reinforcement. And then I am there two days a week. And then two days a week, I'm all around the park training all the other animals. Um, so, Leah and I are really a bit into the training part and silk is very into the bird part and if we combine that together we can just figure out what is best for that bird and how do we uh yeah what can we show and how do we train it and together we make the plans um and then we have got two uh young uh, people that that just work in the weekends or in the days that we are off and one guy uh, started at Hunderdal. Uh, His name is Rick. He started there when he was 10 years old and he's been there for 10 years now. (laughs) And he just, yeah, knows about, uh, also about birds of prey and we are training him and the other girl. Uh, we train them about training. So we help them. How do you get to train stuff? And that makes it a very complex situation, but also very, uh, cool because you've got so many different views the, the two young ones are still in school so they bring stuff that is being taught on school right now more about welfare and more about yeah things that weren't that important 20 years ago when we were in school um, so that's a very yeah complex group but very interesting group and then we've got our volunteers because we work with volunteers and they can be from yeah uh, people that are on pension, like 60, 65 years old. They just want to do one day a week, uh, help us out with cleaning and with the birds. And we've got some people that have, have autism that we try to help. And we just got people that like to do stuff with birds. <laughs> yeah. They are very, very enthusiastic, but none of them have experience in, in in this kind of training and this kind of working with birds. Uh, the volunteers, so we train them as well, and that uh, is sometimes very difficult, because especially there's some older guys that are like, yeah, you can say that, but I will do it my way anyway, okay, please don't do that, (laughs) and some people, like our, um, yeah, our uh, young guy with, uh, with autism, we have to tell him new stuff over and over again, because he just falls back into what he always has been doing and yeah that's not his fault that's how he works that's how he co- cooperates with life but sometimes it's really difficult because then we tell him okay don't show the food the animal knows how to come uh, don't show him the food but just surprise him sometimes give him one piece and sometimes give him three pieces because that's what the bird likes and then he does that for a week and then he falls back and he shows the food Then he always gives one small piece of food and the birds know that, and they also know that I will do it differently. So they, the birds, choose to come to me instead of that guy. And yeah, that's that's a really challenge uh, sometimes because yeah, we gave the birds choice, and sometimes they choose things that are not very convenient for us, and we have to figure out how we can change that, how we can make things interesting, so they will go to that guy. And yeah, that's very challenging
0: yes it is and i think it is really wonderful that you are trying to really work you know with lots of different uh, people with different backgrounds people have been in the in the field for very long people who are new people have a different uh, background educationally people um you know who experience the world in different ways and 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 also this continuing learning from each other because yeah. i'm sure that uh, the gentlemen uh, with the with uh, with autism has um brought things to the table and and his um perceptions that uh, you've been able to learn from and you know there's this constant back and forth and back and forth of of people uh working together and people and animals trying to work together and learn from each other so um yeah, and that's that's such an important part and you also mentioned uh, importantly that uh, there has been a big evolution in the educational system like uh, obviously being an animal care professional ha- has um is not a protected profession right the, the only one really as a protected or a regulated profession is the veterinarian so mm-hmm. lots of people come at this job in different from different backgrounds uh, but today, of course, of not just today, for quite a long time now, there, have, there are schools, colleges, uh, universities that have animal welfare degrees, animal management, animal care. Um, and we have also, in, even though I still think that um, some are still quite geared to, say, farm uh, curriculum mm. content, so cleaning, feeding animals, more and more colleges the professionals are including more you know contemporary views of what it means to take care of animals and what we should know just like positive reinforcement training and behavior observations and everything else right so it's really yeah important to look at all these um all these developments and ways we can we can learn from each other so i'm glad um that you shared that with us and then you know you also mentioned you know because this ties to learning and and deciding on what you are going to do or not do. And I remember um, hearing a presentation you gave in the Netherlands uh, last year where you talked about a species uh, that you are not um, housing, you're not flying and reasons for that. And you also just mentioned, and I wonder whether that is tied to that as well, is the night owls that you don't have. So can you, Talk a little bit about the things that you have said no to and why and for what species and, and the reasons yes yes of course um yeah the the uh, not having the night
1: owls is is some of the uh, came from our boss actually because here in Holland there is a group of people that um are against bird shows, and they just generalize all bird shows are not good because you're not. Uh, providing good welfare for your bird and most bird shows don't tell the good stuff and it's all about just um, showing off a bird and not about education. That were the points that were uh, mentioned in the pamphlet that group wrote uh, why they are against bird shows. And that's the pamphlet that my boss used when he um, wanted to change his bird show and his, how to hold, uh, to house the birds and stuff like that. And also just one of those things was uh, owls that fly at night, hunt at night, shouldn't be forced to fly during the day. So that's why we don't have uh, owls that fly normally during the night. We just have the owls that hunt during the day or in dusk or dawn, Um, which is something I am really congratulate him on because it's a good choice. Why would you make birds that normally fly at night and their eyes are specific, uh, adjusted to flying at night, fly at the daytime when the sun is really bright. Uh, another thing which is probably nice to mention is that one of the problems that was mentioned in that, that pamphlet was that birds could fly away and um, go into the nature where they didn't belong. Um, because most birds of prey can survive. If you, if you let a Harris hawk loose in in Holland, where they normally won't survive or won't live, he will survive because he knows how to hunt. Uh, but he could go mix with other species and he could maybe live here forever. And that was one of the problems that was also mentioned. So our demonstration is, area is covered by a net. They, birds cannot fly away. That was something also our boss wanted. And in the beginning, we were like, "Mm, that's a bit sad because now we don't have a really free flight show. But it turns out to be one of the best things ever (laughs) because they won't fly away. And we can take chances and we can fly the birds at much higher weights because if they decide not to go into their aviary, we can just let them out for an hour or two or a night or whatever. So it gives us lots more opportunities to actually listen to what the birds want. In our old situation, if a bird would fly away, he could go fly into the uh, bobcat enclosure. We don't want that. So we had to get him back no matter what would happen. So we had to get his weight a bit down so he would come back for that that food that we showed him or we have to do other stuff. But now we don't have that problem anymore. So yeah, it's a really good thing that, 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 that the arena is covered. And what you said about the the, the species that we don't fly—that that is the falcon. A falcon is a really fast bird that flies high. Um, that has the potential to hurt himself if he goes too fast into the to the mesh of the aviaries. Um, so we said no, we don't want the falcon. At least not at this moment. Until we know very good uh, how this all works, if we until we know that he will be able to be housed in an aviary like this and that he can be shown off in this arena because he cannot go that high. And if he would try and he would fly into the mesh, yeah, we have problems. That's not fun. So that's what we said, no, we don't want falcons, at least not yet, and maybe not ever. And so far we are still not, no, no falcons yet. Um, And that's also a good thing about Hunedal, we can make that choice. We can say no, we don't want that bird or that species because uh, it's it's not nice in this arena. Um, my boss really wants big eagles in the show, but our demonstration area is big, but it's not that big that a big eagle, a Stellar's eagle, uh, will be. Uh, yeah, how do you say that he will be shown as as how he should? I mean. Yes I can show him on the hand but that's not not how that's not how he lives and that's not how I want to show him I want to show him flying and our arena is just not big enough for that so that's why some of the species my boss put luck to don't come into the uh show and into our aviaries and there are species that we really wanted to show and my boss said okay yeah, you can have it like the uh, red-legged ceriema we have now. That's something we really wanted because it's a really cool animal. It fits into our story. We can show how he smacks the snake on a rock. and Now my boss said, okay, we'll get one. So now we've got a red-legged ceriema. So yeah.
0: That, yeah that's so really cool. Making, uh, yeah, making decisions really based on how well can the animals you know be in their habitats as well as in the in the show, yeah. really trying to match those up and making decisions. And, and you touch on something that in the bird flying, the falconry community of free flying birds is a very hot and much debated topic, which is all about weight management or weight reduction yeah. to get animals to fly. Now, of course, yeah. it's important to immediately note that you know, weight management is important. Uh, because mm-hmm. we don't want too light animals, we don't want too fat animals, you know, so weight management in itself is a very important part of, you know, good animal care and welfare programs. But then yeah. weight management, as we talk about it in the domain of falconry and flying birds free, has um, ha- has this, I would say, more negative connotation because it's connected to, you know, reducing or very drastically reducing an animal's weight to make sure that they always come back. Um, yeah. And you also briefly uh, touched on, no, so let's first go into that uh, a little bit further. Um, what, what is this debate about and, uh, and where are the opinions sway to and, and where do you think it should go?
1: Yeah. The debate is mostly about that. If you um, go to the traditional falconry, that you have a flyweight, a, a birch weight, where he will fly perfectly and always come back. And that weight is estimated 10% lower than his weight. If he would just get fed every day, what he wanted. That's his at libidum lib- 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 lib weight. <laughs> That's, so there's this weight that if you feed a bird every day, whatever he wants, then at a certain point, he won't get any heavier. And if you have a flying weight that's more or less ten percent lower than that weight he would have uh, when he gets fed up.
0: And yes, we are flying. Uh, you mean when he gets, you know, fed, you know, until he doesn't want to eat anymore.
1: Yes, yes, yes,
0: yes, that's
1: what yes. I mean. yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um. And in training a bird in the old falconer style, what you do, you start at that that, that fed up weight, and you just First of all, you don't feed it a couple of days till it's at the 10% lower. And then you start training him. And if he doesn't want to cooperate, you just get lower and lower. And it happens, not everywhere. Of course, it's it's uh, accidental things that happened. But that you get that low that the bird dies because there's a point where the bird doesn't want to eat anymore because he doesn't have energy anymore to eat. Or he doesn't have the energy to fly. And you think, oh, he still doesn't fly. I'm going to get his weight even lower and that's the whole problem with the flying weight you have to really always try to get the flying weight as high as possible and good falconers will do that they will start at a certain point and they through training will get higher and higher in their flying weight so a good falconer will always get as much weight on the bird as possible but because of there being so many people that can own any bird they want without any restrictions whatsoever there are also a lot of people that don't know how to do that very well i mean training you know is not something everyone is good at Um, and because especially in free flight there are so many risks you can't control, like what I said with the bobcats, our old situation, the birds could actually fly into the bobcat enclosure, which is killing for them. (laughs) Um, And that means that you have to really make sure that he will come back. And birds of prey are only most of the time motivated by food. So you reduce his weight. And now because that's that's one of our big advantages, because we don't have that problem anymore. We can go up in wait and wait. And quite a lot of our birds are flying at that weight where they just don't want any more food. And that's one of the good things. We just can feed them what they want and what they need without uh lowering them because they participate in the demonstration. Yes. And that's very, very cool. And that's something we didn't um Anticipated when we started, but that's something we see quite often now. And we also see in in the old situation what you did in summer. You had your demonstration, so the weight of the bird was quite low. And then in winter, when there were no demonstration, you put the bird up in weight, and you have them eat whatever they want. And then in springtime, you lower their weight again. So they had this pretty weird. yeah, controlled by humans' fluctuation in weight. And now in our situation, we just see a normal fluctuation in weight because there is still a fluctuation. In, in springtime, they drop a little bit in weight because they are losing energy in, in, in molting. They're losing energy in, in courtship behaviors and stuff like that. And we still feed them as much as they want, but they still drop in weight. And uh, But that's, that's a natural thing because they just eat as much as in... Uh, summer when the weight goes up again and they just eat as much as they do in springtime when the weight goes down so yeah that's that's something that looks just very normal behavior for normal uh, way of living
0: yes we could have a whole podcast on on this particular topic and there's already <laughs> many podcasts on that right because it's such a no it's it's great yeah. you know there's so many things to say about this and uh, and also actually do you fly the birds because often birds in pre- in shows presentations um they are like on this almost winter and summer schedule right do you mm-hmm. fly your birds pretty much all year round yeah if you want yeah. to yeah, yeah okay because that's yeah
1: and only in in springtime we have uh they they don't participate as often because they are busy with building nests and they are busy yeah. with terrorizing each other because now I don't know what it's like the whole natural springtime yes. <laughs> behavior. Um so yeah, that that that's a bit difficult. We have uh had this this owl that was making a nest in his aviary and yeah, he just didn't want to do anything else than be in that nest and uh we've got this um red tailed hog that was attacking all his neighbors because he was having a nest on top of his enclosure. So we had to put some, yeah, invisible, uh, put some things so he couldn't see his neighbors because it was really getting bad. So that are problems that come now from this this training that because they are good in their weight, they are good in their, uh, they feel good and they do things they would normally do in nature. And yeah, that's sometimes, uh, Sometimes a bit of a problem, at least a challenge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Yeah, it's a problem and a challenge for us, and they are just doing their thing. And they are doing what they want to do. So, (laughs) yeah. yeah. That's great. And you have shared so many different things with us uh, today on, you know, obviously where you came from with regards to your education, but also working with marine mammals and how that has shaped the way that you and your colleagues now are working with birds um of prey and lots of other birds and positive reinforcement training there's of course a lot more to say about this topic whether it's the use of you know jesses you know the the the, um the little devices that we often see around the the ankles of the birds of prey or or hoods and so on Uh, but you know because the podcast is running already quite a bit we you know maybe uh we're going to have uh, on the pause platform quite a few bird seminars this year some are very specific to parrots. some are going to be you know other uh, birds included and uh, and training so we'll probably have to come back to that topic But of course, um, you know they're all very important, and everybody wants to hear some fun and wonderful stories of birds. So maybe we could conclude the the podcast with a few of those. I've seen some lovely videos and photos. Of, of you and your team uh, that you're sending in our WhatsApp group, which I really enjoy. Um, and, uh, you're very, very nice. Uh, you know, the words that you're using as you're talking to the birds and the, all your interactions. <laughs> so that's yeah. really lovely. Yeah. So maybe you could, you could share some, some nice bird stories with us, uh, before we say goodbye.
1: Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. There are so many stories. One of the cool things that, uh, what I really like now is that we, we've got this kookaburra and when she came to us, she, she was born in the park and, uh, we hand fed or not we, uh, my colleagues hand fed it. And then it came to us for the demonstration. And in the beginning, she just didn't want to do anything. She was in a small enclosure because we wanted to train her and wanted to get her to get used to us. And it was just not going very well. And then we were like, okay, whatever we put her in the big enclosure where she's going to live. And now she is flying like perfectly. She is, she's wants to cooperate. She's going all everywhere. I ask her to go, she goes. Um, and that's something we see have seen with other birds as well, that as soon as they get more freedom, they are just choosing to come to us. And, that's, that's one of the things that really amazes me every time that, that, um, yeah, that they really love to work. They, they want to cooperate. They, they love to work with us. And, um, as soon as they get the the well-being or I don't know what it is that they, they they experience in the big enclosures in the big aviaries, they just blossom. They just grow. And yeah, that's something I really love about our new situation and so, yeah, that's something I want to share.
0: And yes, cool that's a beautiful story because yeah. I think, you know, it Love ties it. so much to our training, you know, yeah. when we are providing uh, places and options for, for animals that they, they feel, they have that what we call the perceived control. So they, they can be far away uh, in this bigger enclosure, but they, you know, they have control over it and they yeah. feel, you know, that it's not in this really tight space, what we often have when we have in these smaller enclosures where it's hard to kind of learn about each other if you're worried and you're just like hmm, you yeah. know and now now you've created space and that that space has, is a creation of trust so i'm yeah. really delighted that you're sharing that, yeah. that story with us what's her name or his name uh, her name's Amy. She's Amy. she was okay. pretty fat when she came, so it was fat
1: Amy from the from <laughs> one of the movies. <laughs> but now it's ah, just Amy.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, Amy yeah. has lost some weight. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. She was
1: she was too fat. Like yeah, it's, that's it's also like you said with the weight management. We have this uh Rupples vulture, which has a bit of a toe problem. So we actually have to control his weight because if he gets too heavy, he bumps his toe very often because he's not a very good flyer at the moment at all. He needs more, lots of space. And yeah, he's just a bit clumsy. So we have to control his weight that he doesn't get too fat. But even if he's like six and a half kilos, which is heavy for him, he just wants to cooperate. And then we have to drop his weight because it's not healthy for him and we have to drop it a little bit, but he always wants to cooperate. He just loves working with us. And that's, that's so fun to see. That's
0: yes. Yeah. That is wonderful. Especially, you know, when we're talking about human animal relationships, we, we make those distinctions between, you know, there's like some sort of uh, interaction, right. That could become a relationship and can become a bond, right. Where you're yeah. both, mutually enjoying it and benefiting and and it's not about the food and other things and uh, so it's wonderful to hear all these stories
1: great yeah and that's something also i learned like i said i started with marine mammals and everybody knows that marine mammals are nice and kind and they uh, have these facial expressions and if you talk to random people about birds it's like i don't like birds you never know what they're thinking and you don't Yeah, they always look the same but they don't, they have like every other animal and individual and whatever, they they have like facial expressions and they show you what they want and what they don't want. And they have all got their own character. And I really started to appreciate birds in general uh, since I've been working on this project. It is, yeah, there are so many people still scared of birds because they don't understand them, but they are so, so beautiful.
0: Yes. Wonderful. I love that. That is so great yeah. because also, you know, everybody loves dolphins, uh, yeah. but it's kind of hard to read their faces <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and the same, of course, is for fishes and, uh, but then the fish people will tell us, you know, no, I yeah. mean, they totally can, you know, in, distinguish between individuals and their personalities and their, yeah. you know, little ways of being. And some of it is in the face and, or other parts. So wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah for sharing uh, all these stories and your insights and um we'll make sure to link to you know obviously you know the hunderdao and your company and we'll make sure to include some nice uh, photos and uh, links to videos and so yeah, everybody yeah. can learn and hear yeah. more about what you're all doing so thanks so much for coming on to the podcast today i really love to do it it was great okay excellent we'll take care and uh yeah we'll see each other for sure of course because we are continuing the research into bird welfare and care so thank you so much for for all that you're doing and uh yeah take care okay thank you very much already the end of the podcast i hope you enjoyed that as much as we did find us on your favorite platform and leave your comments and suggestions or go to the Animal Concepts website to send us your questions and feedback. We are so happy to answer them and address them in future podcasts. Animal Concepts is dedicated to helping you care for animals and yourself. Are you interested in quality animal care and welfare content, in actions and resources for you to be well while caring for animals? Then check out PAWS the practical animal welfare science platform, which has webinars, science into practice case studies, private Facebook live sessions, and a lot of resources for you and the animals you care for. You can share your experiences and connect to animal care professionals and scientists from around the world. In the meantime, take care of you and the animals and keep buzzing.